Hi, and welcome to episode number 18 of Meet My Followers. I am your host, Kate Dworkin, and this is the podcast that interviews my actual followers on Twitter. Today's guest is Pamela Slim, at Pam Slim. I have to thank 140 once again for helping make this show entirely possible. Regardless of your platform, 140 can point you to some amazing Twitter applications. They have recommendations... Once again, I have to thank 140 for helping make this show entirely possible. Regardless of your platform, 140 can point you to some amazing Twitter applications. They have recommendations for iPhone, Android, Blackberry, Windows Mobile, Nokia, WebOS, and any desktop operating system you choose to run. Every character counts. Do more with 140. I am so excited to have today's guest on the show. She's someone who I look up to immensely, someone whose counsel I have sought out time and again because she just has this sage wisdom about her. And uh, my guest is Pamela Slim. Pam, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Sage Wisdom. I'm feeling a little old, but oh, you know, only 44, so. <laughs> just because your age is that number doesn't mean that the wisdom that you pass down to me isn't of that value. To, so, you know, don't take that as, a, as, a, as an ageism comment. <laughs> but I'm going to step back and let you kind of introduce who you are to the listeners of the show. Yeah, well, I am an author and a business coach. I work with people in corporate jobs who really, really want to leave and start a business. And uh, I help a lot of folks by through my blog, which is escapefromcubiclenation.com. And I also wrote a book of the same name that came out in April of 2009. And we'll talk, we'll talk a bit about both of those, I'm sure, through the course of this interview. But uh, how did you actually get started with the blog? I know the story, and I find it always very interesting to hear it. Yeah, it really was, a, I call it 10 years of market research because I was a consultant to large corporations for about the first 10 years of my business. I went out on my own in 1996. And so I was inside all kinds of different companies, um, large and small, very well known, often touted as the best place to work. And inside the companies, I often found lots and lots of people who were really intelligent and were putting on the game face in order to be a good corporate citizen but then would privately pull me aside and say, I hate my job, I really want to start my own business, but I don't know how to do it. And the, the puzzling thing to me that's always been the case is that there are so many great books about starting a business, there are so many great resources. People at that time, which was now about maybe six years ago, that were much more experienced than I was, um, but I just really learned that people needed a little bit of a different approach to understanding how to make the leap. It was as much about the shift in roles of what it means to have the social identity of being a so-called stable corporate employee mm -hmm. versus being a swashbuckling you know, entrepreneur. And so when people can understand that there's a lot of personal uh, transitions that happen with that role, that's really where I stepped in. And what I tried to do in my book is to wed the actual steps in the business process of what you need to do to effectively set up a business, but then also include what happens psychologically as you're going through those steps so that you can address them, hit them, confront the fears, and keep moving through the process to have a successful business. Gotcha. One of the things that really struck me when I got a copy of the book was that it's not just a best of series from the blog, right? You've actually, you know, yes, the topics are, you know, touched on in a lot of the different blog posts, but 
you really fleshed out, you know, okay, hey, these are the types of experiences other people have had. You may be similarly experiencing things. Here are some of the things you need to think about and attack it in that respect. Was that a conscious choice to, you know, make it make the book stand alone on its own two feet? Or was it more of a that's kind of the result of compiling all that information at once for you? No, it was really a conscious choice to try to make it stand alone. It was actually one of my long-term clients who kept asking me to create a book because we'd have a coaching session and then he was so wonderful. He was a software engineer and he would print out all my posts and he would have them highlighted and underlined and say, you know, on August of 2006, you said this and, you know, what did you mean by it? And he said, could you please write a book so you could just have the entire process in a structured, organized manner, you know, in order to go through it. And that I realized that I can reach so many more people through something like a book and, and even differently than I can with a blog post where in a standalone way, people can really, you know, learn what the steps are that are involved. Um, one of the things I tell you that's just been the most wonderful part of writing a book and having it distributed out there in the world is getting emails from people all over the world. I got a, uh, a message from somebody in Oman um, one from Indonesia, and they said, you know, I read your book, and I loved it, and I applied it, and um, and I got out of my job. And, and I never have talked to the person. They never paid me for a moment of coaching, and I find that to be awesome. That's just the, what I want to do is to be able to put the tools in the hands of people so that they can do it themselves. That's extremely exciting that you're getting that opportunity to help people who you've never met, which We'll we'll get into the speaking and you know all that that fun stuff in the liftoff series. So I, I do want to couch that for just a minute though. Um, one of the major critical points I think in your blog's history and how you kind of have gotten the impetus and the momentum to write the book and everything else that you've been doing was your interaction with Guy Kawasaki. Do you mind telling the bits and pieces of that story? Yeah, I call Guy now my Link Sugar Daddy because he has been really instrumental in. Um, in opening up my audience, and it was 2006 that I, it was just a beginning blogger, I hardly had any readers at all, and I was just excited about writing, it was really fun to just keep writing blog posts, and when my son was really young, he was a few months old, and I was pushing him in a stroller around my neighborhood, and I got a vision, I don't know if you've ever had that, where you just, I imagined myself standing in front of a bunch of sea level people, uh, and telling them what were all the ways that they were really managing ineffectively. Because having been a consultant for so many years, I was always very straightforward and I would always speak the truth. But there are certain things that you can't really say when you're in the role of, of being a consultant. It just kind of crosses the boundary sometimes if you want to stay in business. And so I had this idea in my mind of just speaking my mind to a whole bunch of C-level people and so I rushed home and I ended up writing a blog post about it called An Open Letter to CEOs Across the Corporate World. And I had been reading Guy's blog and really loved his style. I loved the art of the start. And so I just decided to send him an email that night sharing the post with him. I had never talked to him before. And uh, about 10 minutes later, he responded back asking if I could expand it into a top 10 list, <clears throat> which he's really uh, fond of. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was an amazing moment. Anybody who's a blogger, a beginning blogger will remember, you know, remember those times. It was just so exciting. First of all, that he'd pay my email any attention and then also that he wanted to post about it. So he ended up blogging about it the next day. I got a huge amount of traffic to my blog. Um, as a result, a lot of new readers. And I, I really see that as being a tipping point for me sure. into uh, reaching into his market. Well, I, 
you know, it's created all this momentum, right? We've talked about the book. We've talked about the success of the blog. I mean, the book's done very, very well and, you know, been awarded uh, the 800 CEO read, uh, you know, best uh, entrepreneurial book of 2009, which I'm sure was a huge honor. Um, but you've you've gotten the opportunity to now do a lot of these speaking events, right? I mean, you've you've been a consultant and a speaker for a while now, and a coach as well. Um, talk to me about specifically the the liftoff series because every time you post something about it on your blog, it gets me fired up. <laughs> well, this is something. One of the philosophies um, that I learned from Jim Collins when he wrote Good to Great were the three circles. If you remember that, your sweet spot is the intersection between what people will pay you to do, what you love, and what you're genetically encoded to do. And that's personally how I feel about the, the liftoff retreats that I'm doing. It's just a two times a year retreat that I do with my friend, uh, Charlie Gilkey. <clears throat> and um, we bring together a group of highly intelligent, creative entrepreneurs for a couple days of really intensive introspection, business planning. It's really creating a vision for your business from the ground up. Both Charlie and I feel really strongly about creating your business so that it gives you the life that you want as opposed to only making a whole bunch of money. And what I like about it so much is it and the quality of the people that are there. It's very creative, it's very energizing. We've had people that have attended that have done all kinds of joint ventures together and built companies and done products and all kinds of things. So for me personally, it's just a, a highly, highly enjoyable way to work. I love to be speaking to big audiences. That's really stimulating. I love to be doing one-on-one -on -one work, but there's magic that happens when you have a small group of exceptionally motivated, smart, creative people. And that's personally just a real highlight in the kind of work that I like to do. And, and how would someone get involved in that? Is that an invite-only thing, or is, that a, you know, is there an opportunity for just the random would-be entrepreneur to, to get in on that? Yeah, there's there's the random person. We we definitely put it out to our circles. There's a little bit of a self-selecting of people who are following us on Twitter or our blogs or ones who tend to know about it. Um, we have it's liftoffretreat.com is what the site is. We do screen, so we get people that apply. And what we always look for is a good combination of people from different backgrounds. So we like to get somebody who's maybe a web developer, and then we want to get somebody who's a graphic artist and somebody who might be a consultant and just get a good mix of personalities and also just make sure that you're at the right stage of business. This is not really the right thing for somebody who's just beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, in the early stages, this is generally better for somebody who has had a business that's been functioning, you've got customers, and yet you're really wanting to strengthen it and grow it to the next level. Awesome. Well, you know, it's one of those things that I aspire someday to actually get, uh, you know, in, involved in that at some, in some capacity, but uh, we'll see if we can't figure that out as to when. I can't wait. We, you know, we're holding the virtual spot for you there. Uh oh, that's trouble. <laughs> so let's, I, I, there's been a consistent stream of people who have been on the show now, and it's, you know, this will be episode 18. Um, of people who have spoken at Ignite Phoenix. I would love for you to, to describe one or both of your talks that you've now done for them because you're one of the very few speakers who have been asked by the Ignite Phoenix group twice. Yeah, I love, love, love Ignite in general, and I especially I love Ignite Phoenix. When I, I moved here to the Valley about six years ago from the Bay Area, and I really felt like an alien from another planet, you know, because it was just so different from what I was used to. And getting connected with the Ignite, Ignite community made me feel so much at home. I love being around people who are totally passionate about you know, the topics that they talk about. 
I tried to, in each case, to choose things that were really relevant. The first one I did was called The Upside of Fear. And it was in, do you remember, was it 2009, I guess? Yeah, I think so. It was right when everything was totally crashing and burning, when our entire you know, global economy was crashing. And I thought, what can I do to help maybe lift people's spirit a bit and, and really understand that there can be some really positive things that come from fear when we're not afraid of it? Yeah. <laughs> so that was the first one. And, and that, that, well, Actually, let me jump in here because that was actually one of the first times I had actually seen you speak. Okay. And, and so that was one of those things where... I saw you and I you know, obviously got speaker envy, right? Where it was, oh my gosh, this person is amazing. I need to go speak with them. And <laughs> then you were even better in person, which was like, it's so rare that people like, there isn't that letdown because most people are on stage <laughs> and they're on and they're, you know, over the top. And, and yet you were, you know, even I would say, you know, more focused than when you were speaking in front of, you know, 500 people at that event mm-hmm. where, you know, all of a sudden you're sitting there and you've got my attention and it, I, I definitely felt uh, some, I don't want to say pressure, but that I was the focus of your attention for the five minutes we spoke. That makes me that makes me happy. That's one of my values in life is I really like to listen really well when I when I have when I'm standing and talking to somebody, no matter what the situation of really having a good, deep conversation that, you know, that's actually at the root of everything that I do in my work. And it really is what inspired me mainly to be um, to, to go in this new direction of moving away from corporate consulting into coaching is because I love those deep connections. My best friend Desiree calls me a prober because <laughs> often within five minutes of talking to somebody, we're delving deep into their soul and you know their life purpose and all their childhood you know frustrations. That is what fascinates me. And I think that everybody deserves that kind of respect. So anyway, I don't mean to digress, but I, I appreciate that because I value that very, very much. I, yeah. I, I want people to expect – or not expect, but to anticipate that when they get an in- opportunity <laughs> to interact with you because if yeah. you're not really ready for it, it can be a little jarring. I'll be honest. <laughs> so uh, I didn't mean to jump in there. Why don't you talk about what you spoke about at Ignite in Phoenix number four, which I believe was the capoeira. It was capoeira. When, when I was in the Bay Area for about 11 years, I was a fiend – uh, for capoeira, which is an Afro-Brazilian martial art. And I trained it for many years. I taught it. And in particular, I work with a group of amazing young people. We started a program called Community Action Project, where we uh, got all kinds of young people from the local neighborhoods in San Francisco and Oakland um, who were challenged. They were in a lot of neighborhoods where there were lots of gangs. And they started training capoeira. And we just saw amazing, amazing things happen in their lives. They are totally inspirational to me. So I talked about that, about the power of the art of capoeira. It's the, the art of kicking ass while smiling is the way you translate it. A arte de lutar sorrindo, as they say in Portuguese. And um, it's, uh, it represents to me the best of what something can be uh, as an art form for young people where they really feel their own power and they realize that freedom is really between their ears. It's, it's how they're thinking about themselves and their lives. And uh, that to me is the beautiful, you know, side result that happens when when young people train when adults do too but in particular for young people who often don't have a lot of positive role models or feel like they're going down one path which is usually death or jail in some neighborhoods it really opens up another possibility and and what i also like is it allows them to show the world often that looks at them because they're latino or african-american or filipino-american a lot of the, the kids were that i worked with it shows people what beauty and strength that they have. And I, I think that we've really 
lost that focus um, lately of uh, judging people just by the way they look or the, by the way they dress. Uh, I, I always enjoy you know you talking about Capora because of the way that, that you you bring that emotion into you know that physical experience, and so to see how you help so many people was just great. If you've listened to the show before, you kind of know what my final question is. If you haven't, I completely understand you're insanely busy. But I like to end these interviews by asking people who they follow on Twitter, who they really get some value out of. Yeah. I Boy, there are a lot of people. It's always the response. I always love putting people on the spot because it's great to see who people forget. And it's also great to see who they remember. So, Yeah. Well, um, I mean, one, it may not be fair to call it a group, but for me, it's often when I am following my clients, that's something that gives me the greatest amount of joy, I will say, because we get more daily interaction and I just love to be seeing what they're working on. So personally, professionally, that's always stimulating to be seeing what they're working on. Um, I love Patty Dye, who's a friend of mine who is an author and just an amazing human who's really funny. I love Naomi Dunford from Itty Biz. Mm-hmm. I think she's Itty Biz. Maybe she changed it now to just Naomi Dunford, but she's always hilarious, slightly profane, and really funny. Um, I do love my bro, Chris Brogan. I, I just like you know the, the focus that he has out there in the world and you know sharing of information. I'm just always curious to see what he's working on, and I get really excited and stimulated by the kinds of things that he's doing. And then uh, I do have a whole circle of just peer mentors, friends, Jonathan Fields and Charlie Gilkey and Chris Gillibo and a bunch of other folks that are doing similar things that I am that I really enjoy connecting with on a daily basis. So it's an impossible question to answer, but that's a start. That's that's the fun part about it, though. Well, I mean, <laughs> you give a great list of people, right? I mean, the people who I would have expected you to, to highlight there you did and a few that I actually wasn't even aware of you have. So that's going to be interesting for me to go out and find those people. Well, Pam, thank you so much for taking the time. It means a, a great deal to me that you would come on the show. I would do anything for you. I love you dearly and uh, can't wait to see you continue to fly. So thanks for having me. And there is my interview with Pam Slim. I think the world of her, so please follow her up. That's at Pam Slim on Twitter. Go read her blog at escapefromcubiclenation.com. And also, if you're super into becoming an entrepreneur, definitely go pick up her book, it's uh, in all major retailers, I believe, 90% sure, who are selling major books. Um, and I also know that there's a great version up on Audible. So go ahead and uh, buy her book, check out her blog, or follow her on Twitter. She's a great person, and I totally recommend her. So go out there, guys, and have a fantastic day. <laughs>